This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. This is the American Toffee Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson and James Boyman. Hello there, everybody. Welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined as always by Alex. What's up? And our guest for the day, Ryan Williams. Ryan, thanks for coming on the show. Happy to be here as usual, guys. We're coming to you guys immediately following what was probably the most, one of the most frustrating games of soccer I've ever been forced to watch or willingly watched either way. Nil-nil draw at home versus Arsenal in what will be the final game of Duncan Ferguson's tenure as interim Everton manager. Alex, I'll throw it to you first. What's your immediate takeaways following that uh, turgid affair, to say the least? I thought it was a boring match. I I really did feel like the team put in a lot of effort, more effort, again, than we saw in the last month or so with Marco Silva. So it was still nice. I mean, you could hear through NBCSN Duncan Ferguson screaming the entire time. Um, so overall, I mean, it was positive. My 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 biggest takeaway, honestly is the fact that in Duncan's matches in charge, we took five points from three matches, and those matches were Chelsea, Man U, and Arsenal. So with that being said, I think that overall, it was a really positive reign from him. I really appreciate him, you know, being willing to step up and take charge, especially in a situation like this in which, you know, he could have very easily lost all three. It may not have even been his fault. And next thing you know, you know, he wouldn't have been, that That was his first stint as a manager, right? So. So he wouldn't exactly be selling himself to Everton or any other clubs for the for the near future. So I think it was positive overall. I, I wish that three points were there for the taking. I wish that we did take them. But nonetheless, it was all right. Yeah, anyway, the, the points were there. There's no question about it. Um, but the effort was there. And, and honestly, games at this time of year, there's so many uh, and such a short period of time, especially right now, we're so hamstrung in, in central midfield in particular. It's going to look a little sloppy. I mean, some of that, there's no real excuse. I mean, I remember Michael Keane missed Sidibe on kind of a breakout, or maybe, pardon me, Dean on the left side near the end of the game. It was such a terrible pass. You shake your head thinking like, okay, fatigue isn't your excuse. So there's a little bit of quality there too. But, you know, you look at the chances today. Uh, possession, Arsenal had the ball a little bit more, but we were playing a little more direct, so I got it. We had more shots. I, I mean, I thought Everton probably had better chances. I mean, you can go to understat, and I, I think – They've got Arsenal at like, you know, almost one expected goals. But by the way, if you want to highlight the flaw of that, they thought that um, Obama Yang's one big chance was 0.63, by the way, expected goals. I, I don't see that at all. I mean, no, right. I mean, it was a flick on and it, it would have been hard. It kind of came over someone. I mean, do we really think even, you know, the best striker in the world scores at 63%? Of There's no way. So um, I, I don't think that was telling. Um Frankly, Davies had really the best chance, I thought, today. I mean, he had the ball. He had a little more time, and Jank got in the way. I don't think our subs really helped us a whole lot. Um, Moyes' first step or first touch didn't look great, but, um, you know, a couple other things. Callum Chambers deserves a lot of credit. I mean, watching how many, against Manchester United in particular, Dom dominated in the air. He, he actually played okay today, but um, part of that is also Kevin's friend. Uh, Kevin Friend is awful. Um, compounding to the lack of grace in the match was his officiating totally inconsistent 
Um, awful all around. There was one sequence where they literally had three handballs and okay, you didn't call the ones in the box and then you literally don't call the one where the arm's on the ground just to control it. It was ludicrous. Tom Chambers won something like in the air and took away a lot of our direct play to Dom, but he also did it by borderline tackling of every other play. Um, the effort was there, but again, when you don't have the depth of the right players in central midfield, it hurts. Like It is very hard to pressure. And so you saw a little front four pressure there at the end where you know, Keen, Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin, and then Holgate stepping in to fill the void were, were a good pressuring four. But look who's behind them. Gilfie, who can't, can't deal with anyone in space. Um, Davies is just not disciplined, even though he works hard. And then you have Michael Keen back there, who he's just terrified to be matched up directly with. So all in all, hard work, good effort. Um, maybe could have done a little better. Didn't really get too many breaks either. I draws fair results. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're right. Five points out of those three games, not the worst. Yeah, it's it's safe to say that neither team really played well enough to deserve to win. I mean, we're talking uh, shots on target. One. Did we even have any? We had, you know, one. So it was uh, it was tough to watch for large stretches. I mean, it, you can tell that the squad, in fact, you know, three games in six days. We did have, of course, Fabian Delph, Luca Dean return. Alex Awobi going down immediately after like 10 minutes with an injury. That didn't help matters. Did not help at all. Uh, against his former club too, so he'll be disappointed with that. To bring on Cenk Tosin, I thought was a little bit bizarre um, by Duncan Ferguson. You know, he's shown that he can be pretty intelligent with the substitutions that he makes over the last three games. But this one, um, I think he, he missed the mark on that substitution. And Tosin was really poor, I thought. Gilfie Sigurdsson, um, tough. Tough game for him, not doing himself any favors with the fan base who have already, you know, he's being accused of going missing on a regular basis. And he certainly reinforced those uh, those perceptions of him today, really struggled on the ball, didn't do much off the ball on the defensive end. Um, the one, the, probably the two highlights on the back line, I, you could even say three. I mean, Luca Dean didn't have his best game, but I thought Mason Holgate played well. And then when asked to step into midfield, did a really nice job. Yeri Mina was really strong throughout Uh Looked like a little bit of cramp at the end. I don't think that's anything serious. Hopefully not, at least. Uh, and Jabril Sidibe had the best game by far of any Everton player, if you ask me. I thought he was excellent defensively. Getting forward, you know, there were some uh, lapses with his with his passing decisions. And uh, But you can say that for anyone in the team. Really strong defensively, and that's reassuring because, you know, we know that the, the offensive product can be there. I think his his defensive capabilities may have been a bit questionable, but he showed showed himself to be really strong against Martinelli today, who, as we know, as highlighted uh, in our preview segment, that he's probably one of their most dangerous players. But again, this was a weak, quote unquote, Arsenal side that they fielded and they didn't play well. So it's disappointing to, to not come away with three, but sending Duncan Ferguson off into the sunset with one point, not the end of the world. It's it's true that he's you know righted the ship and, and given the new manager, Carlo Ancelotti, a platform to move forward and build on. It was interesting. You know, we, we attacked pretty well from the outside. A lot of touches from Sidibe, a lot of touches from Luca Dean. Um, but yeah, I mean, sometimes too, I just wanted to say, as much as you hate to play so direct, cross the ball, get it in the box. Mm. I mean, we had a lot of numbers in the box. And look, it's what are you going to play back and have jank facing and great play? No, man. We had the guys that were scrappy in there. Even Sidibe, he played outstanding. He, he definitely did. We, we did a lot of our attack through him. Um, I just want to see him serve the ball a few more times. And even Davies, who was kind of teaming up with him, who, who, did, who did fine. Um, that, to me, was was just disappointing. You know, I, I just thought there were some chances where just send it in there. You know, those guys weren't so good in the back. Um, 
you know, and, and, but there were some bad breaks too. Yeah, Sidibe deserves a lot of credit. He was pretty darn good. I think he had three tackles, five interceptions. I mean, that's that's pretty darn impressive. And it just goes to show you that Sigurdsson does not do well um, when he has to play deeper. I, he's okay when we have the ball. Some of his one-touch passes can help us break presses and things like that, but you, know, you just can't play. I mean, we we just miss. We, day one of the transfer window, we need a central midfielder. Someone that can play defensive mid too, who can progress the ball up, uh, who's disciplined as well. Um, I, it's just such a, such a need. Amin will be back to play more of a six, and Delph can come in off the bench. But I mean, it's it's we're crying of need in that position, and I don't see room on this team for Sigurdsson. Honestly, I just don't. Sad as that is, I know he's quality with the ball, but even some of the corners we had, Dean, God, those first two corners, what in God's green earth were those? You know, so we just didn't take so bad. Yeah, we didn't take the space and chances we got today. But you know what? Hey, look, we've got a ton of injuries. Um, we've not played well this year, and we got a, we got a point. And I think the most significant thing to happen today, because God knows it was not that fake attempt at the beautiful game, was that Everton has a new manager, and uh, they're a, they're decently high profile guys. What do you think about that? Remember, it wasn't ever going to happen. It couldn't possibly happen. We couldn't possibly know he would never come to Everton. Please. Sure enough, in the stands today, Arlo Ancelotti. Unbelievable. It was unbelievable, actually. And you know what? I Just to backtrack a little bit, James, you beat me to it because I really did want to highlight the defense, specifically Holgate, Mina, and Sidibe. One other player I really want to highlight was Richarlison. And that's because I felt like he really made an effort to try to get involved and push the ball forward. A lot of times he was he had a couple of pretty great individual moments, specifically driving in from the left side of the box, which we all know is probably his best position and the best opportunity for him to be involved in play. So it was good to see overall. You know, I, I think that it's insane to your point, Ryan, right? Like you have the media literally publishing articles. First you see uh wow, Everton is gonna sign David Moyes, and that's just a step back a decade. And then you start getting linked to Ancelotti, and now you see reports saying Everton need to know their place, and they need to realize that David Moyes is the best that they can get. And now somehow, I mean, it, it feels like a dream, but somehow he's sitting in the stands along with Mikel Arteta, and I think that's what made this match the most interesting. Both clubs were in such poor form, terrible lack of confidence, right? Both clubs have interim managers. We signed new managers within... Honestly, probably close to about 12, well, 24 hours of each other. And both new managers were sitting in the stands watching the match at Goodison Park. I mean, it was just, I think it was a bizarre situation. At first, yesterday, people were saying, well, Arsenal might have the upper hand because of the new manager bounce. But here we are, an hour before the match starts, announcing Carlo Ancelotti. And then he just kind of shows up like a pimp, sitting between the dawn. Bill, right, getting kisses from Bill Kenwright. Uh, cracking jokes with Farhad Moshiri as he collects uh, one of the highest salaries in Europe. So overall, I think it's a fantastic day for Everton. Uh, the result is fine. We'll move past it. And, and I think actually, honestly, you know, and, and actually, Ryan, this was the last time you came on with us, or maybe it was two times before that. But we spoke about when Marcus Silva was still in charge, how do we want to handle this process, right? Yeah. And you made a great point, which I have personally stuck to since then. You said. No matter what, I hope that the next signing we make as a manager is a permanent one. You did not want to hire someone like David Moyes to come in for, for five months and then look again in the summer. Now, obviously, the tough part was going to be the fact that 
not every manager is available in the middle of December or January. Right. But somehow that's worked out for us. And we've got one of the winningest coaches in the game of football, in world football today. Yeah, it's funny. I initially when that when he was brought up, I thought, oh, he's the right guy. I know it sounds ridiculous and I that sounds very bad. I, I don't mean to make it I mean, I'm not an idiot. I know the guy's an amazing manager. Um my concern was that this is not a Champions League team. And, you know, I've come on a couple of times and talked about some of the research I've done with um Marcel Brands' teams in the past. Uh and, you know, it's kind of taken four or five years for them to get to where they need to be. And I, I think we're probably a couple of years away still. But I got to admit, it's kind of a similar situation as uh, Louis Van Gaal, um, who was there already. Brands did not bring him in tech. Um, Van Gaal had kind of, you know, some of the polish had kind of worn off him. And, and he was looking to kind of resurrect his career. And Carlo's not really in that situation. I think the Napoli situation is bizarre. Um, but I was concerned, like many other people have voiced, not quite to the idiocy of someone like Dominic King. <laughs> yes, idiocy is the right word because his attitude and approach on that was ridiculous. And if you were on right now, I'd say it. If, you, if I was in the room right now, I'd tell him about it. Um, it's not missing the point. There's a way to make a point without being demeaning and missing the greater point. The point is, Carlos may be someone that's used to dealing with a more senior side that's polished and whatnot. I, I will say this, though. So I started doing research and I'll probably have an article out in a week about Ancelotti in the transfer market, what I'm finding is he's he's not really that much of a transfer guy. Um, very strange, you know? I mean, he you, he worked with uh, a couple guys in the past, all director of football, um, including one of the most legendary ones uh, at Juventus, and even though he lasted two years there, really, he's worked with young guys too, at least earlier in his career too. So I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I feel better about it having read kind of, and done a little research, and hopefully the, the final findings will true it out. Look, all he needs to do is improve the team and play better and, and take things from a tactical basis. Because look, today, today, I, I will say this. If Carlo Ancelotti was our manager today and he had time to prep for this game, we win this match. I know that sounds a little ridiculous. Um, and the guys did fight for, for Duncan. I'm not saying they didn't. But that Arsenal team, especially when they play the two pivot guys who Zaha was good today, uh, but you know Tori Harry. I, I, I don't. I thought he was going to be a great player for them. He was. I don't think he has been. I cannot believe Kevin Friend falls for that diving crap he does too. It's unbelievable. But anyway, God, that had me irritated. Um, I, I think Ancelotti probably attacks with a little more discipline, a little more interest. The press is more, more coherent, and and I think we actually come out with one today. I, our shape was mediocre. Our passing sequences did not seem well rehearsed. We were trying to get the ball to the outside, but we didn't deliver it with conviction. Our positioning, especially when Jank went in, the, maybe that threw everything for a curveball. And Jank went in there was strange. Um, so I, I'm I'm looking forward to it, man. And yes, when I said I want the permanent guy, um, if that was a caretaker for a while, I, I wasn't even necessarily against that. As long as you knew who it was going to be, you knew that you were going to pick the guy. Uh, but look, I mean, is anyone going to argue now about tactics or things like that? We can talk about it, but. We're done now with the manager. Okay, people could stop complaining because I, I really do think a lot of it was with Marco in terms of how we attacked. Um, no one's going to be second guessing the manager now. And guess who the focus is going to be on? The players. Mm. The players and Marcel Brands. And while I think Marcel Brands has done a great job considering how poor that team was, again, I wrote that article too. That's 17 18 team. Worst thing in many ways that could have happened to us is us finishing eight because that team was garbage. Uh, that was a bad team by almost every other measure. Um, now the focus is really going to be on who the players are. And I think it also gets Carlo a chance to really kind of evaluate the squad and, okay, who do we want? Who don't we? I think we're still a little bit behind financial fair play. It'll be interesting to see how many people will leave in January to facilitate a purchase or two. Um, 
But I would think this summer is where the big splash may happen in terms of making the movements. And it's not dissimilar, in my opinion, to the strife that brands ran into both at AZ and at PSV about two years in where they didn't do well and they were calling for people's head. Van Gaal even thought about resigning and the next year they won the league. I'm not saying we're going to win the league next year. Let, let, let's be very clear what I'm saying. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's nice. We don't have to think about the manager, man. How can you argue with that hire really? The more and more I thought about it, um, he'll be fine working with young people. He's going to focus on managing the team. And uh, I think he's perfectly happy to let Marcel Brands deal with the transfer business. And how can we not be excited about that? Totally agree. And I think Ancelotti has a lot working in his favor. Obviously, his CV is is second to none. Um, and he'll bring that credibility into the squad. And I think immediately the players will, he'll be able to get a response from the players. In addition to that, you know, he's going to have presumably players returning to fitness over the course of the next month and a half, two months. And so that can only bolster um, the team spirit and our ability to actually field a, a coherent lineup that makes sense tactically and start to take on uh, hopefully a bit of a new identity under the new regime. Um, but let's pivot a little bit because, yeah, no, it's a, it's an amazingly exciting Excited. time to be an Everton fan. And Ryan, you just returned from across the pond in England. You were in attendance at both the Manchester United game and the Leicester City uh, gut wrenching tragic loss at Goodison. So just give us a give us a little bit of a recap <laughs> of that experience and and how I mean it must have been. I mean I think probably if the standout moment wasn't the limbs after the Baines goal, I'd be absolutely shocked. But uh, yeah, take us through some of the the best moments of your trip. Yeah, well to put it in context on that goal, so I, I don't know why I decided to do this, but um, but two, you know, I was there with a friend of mine who actually is a um, executive director of a soccer club in the United States too. Um, and does a great job. So it's nice to be traveling with someone and, you know, the wife and kids were fine with me leaving, I guess. Uh, it's nice to be traveling with someone where, you know, you can really have in-depth conversations about soccer and my best friend. So we traveled, so we're, we're cool like that. And so I thought, all right, we're going to get down in the street end on the lower, the lower Gladys. And, uh, sure enough, when Baines hit that thing, I mean, I, I mean, I had guys on me. It was crazy. It was completely nuts. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. He stepped up to take it. And we're kind of on the left side, almost directly behind him in line. And, uh, you know, they were literally just finished with the announcement of the four minutes of extra time. And you saw him line it up. And the second he hit it, you could see it tailing. I mean, we were at the perfect line. And it was, you're just thinking, this, this is not going. You got to be kidding. And then when it went in, I mean, I, I literally knocked a guy back over his chair. I mean, I'm not, I'm a pretty big guy. So I guess that maybe, maybe I shocked the guy, but. I mean, I nailed this guy, knocked him back over his chair. I caught him literally with his jacket. Uh, I think I was saying that on Twitter. I mean, people are jumping all around, just pumping high fives, just screaming. I mean, it was it was amazing. I, the whole atmosphere, that place with the, I've been to I've been to Goodison, but to see it with the lights on, everything, and you're so tight on the pitch, and just it's the place is magic. And, and you know, I went to Anfield. Um, I did. I concede, I did. Um, yeah, thank thank you. Good timing on that. Appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, and then and then you guys saw I sent the picture where where uh, Old Trafford, um, and that was cool in its own way. But that Goodison's magic. I mean, it was just it was perfect. You know, we went to the Winslow for several hours before and singing the songs and stuff, and just kind of walking over. And it's just this really, it's just a really special place. Um, I think yeah, the the Manchester United Everton match is really interesting. We we deserved really nothing from that game. Um, but they fought hard, and just to see the away fans and how well the Evertonians represent 
over in the corner screaming back and forth with the Man U fans and it's just traveling all around. I mean, yes, very little daylight there now. You're really far north, but um, it, it's just it's hard not to have a good time in that town. There's just a lot of really good, friendly people, and you can see how you know how passionate everyone is about everything. You know, it reminds me a lot. You know, I grew up in Pittsburgh. It reminds me a bit of that. Um, it's funny too. The crowd reactions are different than maybe what you would expect when you're there. I mean, other than everyone booing Iwobi every time he touched it because he was not having a good game. Um, yeah, just some of the observations and some of the chanting and some of the yelling just kind of comes out at you. You know, maybe it just feels a little bit differently. Uh, not surprised that there were Tommy Diggy party about his wife the whole time. Your bird is a grass. That was great. Uh, <laughs> over and over again. Uh, yeah, honestly, guys, you got to go. Uh, it's it's hard to describe just when those lights go on and you're so tight in that stadium and and just everyone is so focused on the match. And and I will say this too, the speed. You know, obviously been a lot of MLS matches, been several World Cups, seen a lot of professional matches, seen international matches. The speed of that league is unbelievable. I mean, just especially in the Man U games, you're standing on the sidelines. I mean, I could literally have – jumped out and tackled Marcus Rashford at, at several points. The speed of even Luke Shaw, the chubster <laughs> that he is, uh, yeah. watching him battle with that. I know that's not nice, but uh, dude, he's heavy. Lose some poundage. Come on, man. Seeing him and Awobi go back and forth, just the size of those guys and the speed and the skill. Even Harry Maguire watching him step up. And I mean, he's so big, uh, but uh, you know, you view him as slow. I mean, when you watch him on TV, you're like this guy. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm like literally his size, and I'm thinking, I don't think he's even quicker than me. Wrong. <laughs> you're very wrong. Uh, the ball moves so fast. The speed of the players, they're just whizzing by you, you know, and it's just in these places, they're all so tight. You know, we go to American football games here. The stadiums are so big. Uh, those stadiums aren't big. I mean, they're big, but they're not – they see a lot of people, but it's more condensed. It's tight, and – it's just awesome. I mean, it's totally cool. You guys got to do it whenever you get a chance. Um, you know, definitely do your research before you get in. It's some of the logistics are a little interesting. But um, yeah, it was a great experience. And I mean, you, you just walk away there. Goodison to me, still the highlight. Still the most magical place out of those three. Yep, that's right, Old Trafford. Cool place, but no, there's nothing like Goodison. That place is a really unique place and it's going to be sad when it goes. But, um, you know, also having, you know, one thing also worth mentioning and then I'll kind of shut up is... Um, it was very interesting contrast. We took the Man City Academy and Stadium Tour, and um, it was very interesting the difference kind of between the setup there. You know, it's all modern. They have lots of space. It's a truly a modern stadium, modern academy, and you can you can understand why they're so successful. I mean, everything in there is just you know, football, soccer, all time. Um, but that, and you can also understand why some people really dislike that club because it's nothing like you know the other places and the other stadiums. But anyway, the experience was amazing. I'm still a little jet lagged, but um, yeah, it's great, guys. Um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it, and I'm happy to be on here to talk about it. Yeah, no kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm hyped for you that you got to see so many things, and you weren't there for that long. Not too so long. So that was awesome. And you're making me extremely jealous, even just seeing Goodison Park, let alone everything that you did, multiple matches. James and I have been talking about it forever now, probably like six months, and our latest conversation ended with. Maybe we'll go in the spring, but it depends on who the manager, who the new manager will be. Uh, I don't know if Carlo Ancelotti is worth seeing, though, James. Come on, Alex. I'm trying. I'm trying to get Alex to let me let us like book the trip. And yeah, he said it's like I don't want to. It depends who the manager is. It's like, all right. Well, if Carlo Ancelotti doesn't get you to buy a plane ticket, there's not a man on earth that can. 
That's true. That's true. The cool part is if if you guys do it right, um, you can catch a bunch of matches too. I mean, some of the other smaller games, you know, we were going to go to a small, there weren't too many other matches that we could have gone to, but we just stuck with the three. You do it right. Um, but hey, man, who knows? Maybe we'll charge up the uh, charge up the table, sneak our way into Europa, and you'll have that Ooh. many more matches now you're next talking. year to attend to. There you go. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. But hey, I mean, we're playing better. When we start getting people healthy, guys, I mean, it's not. I mean, what, what's the what's the spread now between us and and the Europa spots? I mean, it's not. I don't want to get ahead of myself. It's not not crazy. No, to be honest, if there if there was any year, honestly, if there was any year, although I think I said this the last uh, four years, if there was if there was any year to be able to make up ground with how condensed the middle of the table is, it's this year. All you need is to string together together a couple of a, a couple of wins, but. Nonetheless, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Once again, we always appreciate it, uh, your insight. And uh, again, thank you. Pleasure is mine, guys. Always enjoy. Anytime you guys want me to come on, I I always make the time. And hey, you know, I I know it wasn't the prettiest game today, but sometimes you got to at least grind out a point here or there and still a top six side. And, you know, when I look at it, guys, I mean, 26 points is fifth place right now. We're at 19. You know, if we can keep picking up a couple points here in this tough stretch, Anything could happen. So hopefully next time I come on, guys, it'll be after a few more three-pointers as, as we need it. Thanks to Don Ancelotti. Yeah, let's hope for the best. I certainly hope that Carla can turn things around. That's going to do it for the first segment of our show, guys. Again, thanks to Ryan. Catch us after the break with Greg O'Keefe from The Athletic. So for our next segment, we want to talk about exclusively Carlo Ancelotti. And with that, James and I are really excited and very humbled by Greg O'Keefe. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about Carlo Ancelotti. We know you're very busy. No problem at all, guys. It's a pleasure. been wanting to uh, make an appearance on this podcast for, for a while now. So you're, you're currently at Goodison Park, right? Actually, I've just left. I've, I've spent, oh. uh, <laughs> spent all afternoon there and I I was. Uh, I think it was that p- people were getting ready to pack up and head home. So uh, I've just got to my car and I'm going to head back to to my office. Gotcha. Well, I guess we can dive right into it. So one of our first questions for you, because you know, I think everyone has been really, really excited all week based on the very strong rumors about Carlo Ancelotti. But you're in more of a position with all the connections that you have, and, and obviously your profession um, as a journalist with the Athletic. You, you might be sometimes a little more privy to information than others. So what has your week been like in terms of trying to get a handle on what was happening and, <laughs> and trying to get some insider information? Good question. Um, I mean, that's, that, that you basically sound like you've been reading the briefing notes from my, uh, from my editor, Alex, really, because that absolutely <laughs> has been my mandate, myself and my colleague, Paddy this week to try and get a handle on sort of behind the scenes machinations of one of the most significant appointments, if not the most significant managerial appointments of the club's history, really. Um, and it's been, it's been a bit of a whirlwind week, actually. It's been difficult to, and in fact, no, I'll extend that. It's been a whirlwind period from when Marco Silva was fired to, uh, to now, really. Um, trying to get a definitive and clear take on the process has been difficult because I don't think the process has been clear. Uh, it's been obviously very complex. It's involved 
various people in London uh, and, and across Europe, really. Um, and the, the the piece that uh, that me and Paddy have pulled together for the Athletic um, it kind of reflects the what what's gone on behind the scenes, and 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 really the main thing is just the 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 sort of timing uh, and the fact that Everton have had the ambition to try and appoint someone like Carlo Ancelotti, and then uh, for once, <laughs> speaking as a blue, the uh, the fate has aligned, and, and we've had the opportunity to appoint someone of his calibre because he became available just at the right time, really. It's really interesting. I, I agree that the, the timing has seemingly worked out perfectly in our favor for perhaps uh, the first time in a very, very long time. Mm. I, I want to I pose the question to you, how much of an impact do you think the stability or you know the temporary stability that Duncan Ferguson has brought to the club played a role in being able to secure someone like Carlo Ancelotti? Because obviously, uh, following the sacking of Marco Silva, there were serious doubts. There were a lot of candidates being floated out there, and it did. It seemed like the board were going to pursue a candidate with a lot of urgency. And as mm-hmm. you know, Dunk was able to secure a couple of results. Do you think that the the time that he bought the board was, you know, perhaps maybe even the deciding factor in being able to get Carlo in? Well, that's an interesting point, actually. Uh, I certainly think it helped. I, I wouldn't have thought it was the deciding factor, but you're right in in, in spot on in in the sense that. Things were pretty low before the Chelsea game, weren't they? Um, and mm. there was a feeling, even at boardroom level, that there, there was a genuine uh, fear of being dragged into a relegation battle. I mean, we were in the bottom three, weren't we? Um, and I think the impact that Duncan had on the club as a whole, on, on, on the, the sort of fortunes on the pitch, the, the players, the staff, not just the playing staff, the fans certainly, um, just lifted that that tension uh, and the mood and, and obviously he was able to deliver in the end he's been able to deliver um, five points from sort so three games that a lot of people going into those running games wouldn't have given us much chance of getting any points from um, so yeah he did he did he had definitely played his part it's, that's an interesting way of looking at it he, he bought them some time had had we have gone into that game still with Marco um, with Marco in charge then it might have been a different story because it really did feel that it just that he'd run out of ideas really, and the and the derby at Anfield was was the real nadir, and things felt very bleak. And perhaps the board might have felt more pressured into an appointment of a, a David Moyes or someone of that ilk, someone who was maybe a, an interim manager who was going to come in and, in the perception, keep us safe uh, in the way Sam Allardyce did a, a couple of years back. Um, but Duncan, you know, so so yeah, you're right. Duncan did did play his part significantly, really. But I think fundamentally, the thing that's that's made this happen, and let's not let's not beat around the bush. It's the ambition of of Fahad Mashiri. It's the timing, mm-hmm. and it's 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 the wealth of Fahad Mashiri. Because I think as as much as we all you know think Everton is is, is the most important club in the world, we sometimes take a step back, don't we, and think there's 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 one thing that's been the overriding factor in getting Ancelotti in the door here. It's been it's been the contract that they were able. Uh, and willing to sure. push him under, under his nose, and uh, you know, from there, however, he's he's taken a risk for himself. He's obviously heard the right things, and he feels there's something he can do uh, and have a, a real impact here. Uh, and that's again, that's the impressive factor that that those talks have been concluded with the good news this morning or this lunchtime. I could not have said it better myself. So, Greg, be straight with us. This might this one might be a tough one, but yeah. I want you to tip your hand a little bit. <laughs> so when did you personally know this was going to happen for sure? When did I know it was going to happen for sure? Uh, well, tell was, me it was before this morning. 
<laughs> yeah, it was, it was the, yeah, no, it was before this morning. Um, I think from our Wednesday, uh, the indication that, that we managed to get from people inside the deal were that it was it was all done. Um, and then yesterday, sort of lunchtime, we heard it was signed. Uh, rather, the contract was signed, I should say. Um, but then, of course, that meant that we were kind of wondering if there'd be an announcement last night in, in, in the UK, uh, and, and there wasn't. So it was kind of, we were confident from speaking to people that there'd been no last minute hitch. But you do always have that kind of professional yes. kind of, oh no, I hope something hasn't gone wrong in the meantime. <laughs> we haven't managed to Everton this, but uh, no. So yeah, it, from about Wednesday on, we knew it was, it was, it was looking like a, it was done. And then from Friday in the UK, we knew it had been done. And uh, it was just a matter of when. Um, and, and in the end, it was the uh, not long before kickoff. I think he, was, he arrived at Goodison about 20 to 12. He'd been a little late coming up from London, where he'd spent, uh, he'd, he'd been in London on Friday and spent the night in London. Um, he's a big fan of the capital, really. He used to live in Mayfair when he was a Chelsea manager. Mm -hmm. So he, he probably had some friends there and had a meal with David, his son, and his team, and then uh, was chauffeured up from London uh, this morning. So it, it's all done and dusted. All the papers have been signed. Is there a clear indication um, about who exactly he'll be bringing in as far as backroom staff? I think Duncan Ferguson indicated in his post-match remarks that he's been told that he'll be retained in whatever capacity that is. He, he doesn't seem to be sure yet. I know that his son is likely to come in as his, his number two, I believe. So do we have any further details on, on who else will accompany him? Um, nothing confirmed. There's, uh, I, I believe that he has a, a team that, that are more or less coming with him uh, as they do in most uh, most places. Sure. So his son, David, David, is his number two. Um, I think there's a chap called uh, Giovanni Maori and uh, Mino Fulco who will come with him as well. So they, they have, he has a nutritionist, um, kind of a head of performance, and then his son, David, who is his assistant. Um, and Duncan, as you say, rightly, will have a role in his backroom staff. Um, which I think which is really good news, I think. And it's not just good news in a sort of tokenistic, it's nice that Duncan's there. It's good news, I think, for our fortunes on the pitch and for his import and his sort of coaching credentials have been sort of emphatically underlined with the last three games. And uh, and I think he'll help Ancelotti no end in trying to get a grasp on, on the players and on the culture here and, and, and on the squad. Um, so I believe everyone's got the day off tomorrow, Sunday, and... Uh, we're probably looking at uh, maybe the media meeting Carlo for the first time on Monday, and we'll hear what he's got to say about his new job. Well, that'll be super exciting. So to wrap yeah. it up, I have one more question for you. Obviously, we know that this is, as you said earlier, probably the biggest managerial appointment at Everton Football Club ever. Mm -hmm. I, I think you don't have to tell anyone that twice. <laughs> However, in general, what does this mean for Everton Football Club? What does this mean for the fans? How, how much do we need to temper our expectations specifically for the rest of this season under Carlo Ancelotti? Yeah, again, you know, it's, it's, it's a good point because I think there's naturally a huge amount of excitement and anticipation about this appointment. Um, and I think what it means for Everton is, is, is multifaceted, really. It means that the world are going to be talking about Everton. It means that our profile will probably be higher than ever. Um, in, in the sort of like in the current Premier League era, you know, we're going to be, it'll actually potentially give Everton the ability to reach markets in, in the sort of Middle East and Far East, uh, you know, uh, where 
lot of people follow at the moment. Clubs like Chelsea, Man United, Man City, Liverpool, lamentably. <laughs> so they'll um, they'll all be talking about Everton now and the fact that obviously Carlo Ancelotti, probably one of the world's best known managers, is in charge. Uh, it'll mean we can attract bigger and better players. Um, from what we understand, he's been he's going to be given a significant budget for for recruitment. So um, it's going to be a head spinning period for for everyone. Really, there'll be a lot of names linked, uh, and it'll be on incumbents of Paddy and I to find out whether just how many of these names are actually going to be coming. Um, but you're right, to, uh, not to say you're sounding a note of caution, but you're right to kind of imply that this is only the beginning, really. And, and of course, him taking over is, is a huge lift for the club's profile and, and ability to sign players. But it's only the first step, really, in, in, a, in a, what we hope will put Everton back in the big time, competing for European qualification and winning trophies because... It's not going to happen overnight. Even Carlo Ancelotti won't sort of transform the club into Champions League contenders overnight. I think he'll, I think he'll have targets, and I think he'll have aims even for this season. So I think we we will expect that the style of football improves, that the, the recruitment improves, and the current players improve. Uh, and I think we will see that. I think we'll see that hopefully that he can steer us up the table and be aiming to you know. To, to sort of finish in, in a healthy position. And, and, and I wouldn't have thought that it's unrealistic to say possibly even a crack at Europa League qualification because after sort of top five, six down, there's still plenty to be played for. It's still, still so tight. If you put a good run together, um, then you can be in the conversation for, for Europa League qualification. And of course, okay, one cup competition has been ruled out on Wednesday in, in, in pretty disappointing and inevitable circumstances with the League Cup and Everton. But there's still the FA Cup as well, and that's obviously a competition that he's won. Uh, and, you know, a potential for us to, to compete for that under Carlo. So whilst on one hand I'm saying we should be cautious and it'll, it won't happen overnight, there's still plenty to play for. And, uh, you know, he signed a four-and-a-half-year contract, but and listening might be here for the entire length of that contract, but... Managers don't usually tend to stay these days that long, and Ancelotti hasn't in his, his recent jobs. But what he will want to do is not waste any time. He'll want to hit the ground running, and he'll want to, for the sake of his own career, for the sake of his his, uh, his credentials, which he doesn't need to prove anything to anyone, but the top manager and winners take that mindset into any new job they go into. And he'll be looking to say that there's people out there who are saying this is a Carlo Ancelotti on the decline. You know, he, He's been sacked by Napoli, albeit there was lots of mitigating circumstances. Um, you know the fact that he's gone to Everton shows that he's just after one pay, uh, one last payday, and I think that he'll be able to prove all those people wrong by delivering success and arguably the the most uh, well in, in the sense of the circumstances Everton not having a, a recent tradition of success, the most challenging uh, appointments he's probably taken on for quite some time. It's one thing going into Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, and Chelsea where they already have the frameworks. Of, for success, they already have the top top players in the dressing room. He's coming into a club that has the ambition to be amongst them and has the financial backing, but he's got some very average players and some unique challenges. And uh, I think that will be probably all go mulling through his head as he maybe sips a glass of uh, expensive Italian red wine this evening and thinks about the future. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I certainly agree, and I think you know it's. In doing some research, of course, I was digging through a lot this week trying to learn more about his previous appointments because the mainstream narrative that's emerged is, you know, he's coached the best clubs in the world, which is absolutely true, and that he's not up for a project. And I think the mainstream pundits and, and journalists tend to just 
look at our league position right now, which admittedly is very bad and, and sort of ignore all the all the positivity that was surrounding the team at the start of the season and the midst of the rebuild that's under that's going on under Marcel Brands. And I think the combination of someone like Marcel Brands, who's shown even with the staff that we had, no disrespect to Marco Silva, mm. but he certainly I don't think he is capable of recruiting the type of player or names that Carlo Ancelotti, I think, you know, it opens up an entire new uh, realm of possibilities as far as the type of recruitment we're, we're going to be achieving. All that being said, we still have to be mindful of the financial constraints. But as you said, Greg, I mean, I'm sure in order to get him in, it required not just a significant salary to say the least, but reassurances as far as the budget that he'll be given. Yeah. Uh, one last thing for you, Greg, uh, and this is half joking, but is is Ibrahimovic coming in? Can we expect that announcement any day now? <laughs> yeah, it's funny how quickly the narrative changes, doesn't it? From announce Carlo, announce announce Zlatan. Um, I would just say nothing is off the table um, in terms of recruitment. Really, I I wouldn't. I'm not surprised by the link uh, because he's clearly looking for a new club. Um, feels he can still do it at the top level. Loves playing under Carlo Ancelotti. I think they had a really, really good relationship at PSG. Um, Everton are in the market for an experienced centre forward. Money is is seemingly not an issue at the moment because I mean, let's face it, he is going to command eye-watering salary. Yes. But if it's a case of you know come and, and, and stay with us to the end of the season, then um, it's, it's I'm sure it's a deal they'll look at if uh, Ancelotti feels that he's someone who can come and do the business. I was looking through uh, Zlatan's stats actually. Um, and he's guaranteed goals, isn't he? Even at the ripe, yeah. ripe old age of 38, um, he, he still does the business. And you guys will have seen him, you know, kind of his record was phenomenal at Galaxy. Um, yeah. I think he could still, I think he'd still do a trick in the Premier League. I think what we were saying about earlier in terms of raising the profile of the club via Ancelotti, well, if he signs Latin, then obviously that goes hand in hand with a bigger kind of uh, global um brand awareness and impact once again. You know, he's his own marketing machine. Um, and that's Mashiri's, that's what Mashiri wants to do. He wants to put Everton right up there. And so uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they try and get him. I don't think there's a, a deal done to answer your question or, or it's, it's, yeah. it's agreed sure. or signed or anything like that. But uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they try. Scenes, absolute scenes, if that were to come, come to pass. Yeah. It would be incredible. I, I think that's a good note to end on that that speculation for the future. I think it's a very good time to be an Evertonian. Optimism abound. Greg, we truly appreciate your time. Really useful insight and uh, a really great perspective as always. So so thank you so much for coming on. No, no worries, guys. My pleasure. All right, guys. Catch us next time. We'll be here with you midweek to uh, preview the match. And until next time, up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Come join our Discord community at invite.gg slash ATP and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA Toffee Pod.